Every year around Halloween, news outlets start warning parents of the dangers lurking in their children's Halloween candy. It seems like there's a new threat every few years, from people hiding razor blades or needles in candy apples to poison candy bars, or even worse, households giving out edibles laced with THC. But is there any truth to the story of the dangerous Halloween candy? Or does this urban legend put the trick in trick-or-treat? I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. I'm so pumped. All the, right. The so, trick or treat. Happy Halloween, ladies, and Ooh. happy Halloween to all of our gremlins out there listening. We love you guys so much. We hope you have a great Halloween. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different, uh, but this would not be grim if we weren't going to be talking about something horrific happening to somebody. So I promise mm. you we will get to an actual case, but not without a little bit of history first. Love that. <laughs> Do you guys love that? James. James. <laughs> So I am obviously feeling very inspired by the season. Um, I am surrounded by Halloween decor in our recording studio, a.k.a. my dining room. It looks really good. Thanks. It does. The leaves are falling off the trees outside. I've got spooky ghosts in my tree as well. Um, and it is peak spooky season, mm-hmm. like horror movie watching in full-fledged. And Halloween is, when this episode comes out, is here. It will be Halloween. But right now for us, we've got about a week until Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you guys, but Halloween was my favorite holiday growing up. Um, It probably still is, even Mm. now, if that's okay to admit. (laughs) Uh, It's mine as well. And actually, my Halloween decorations rival my Christmas decorations. You may or may not have a Halloween tree. I do, yes. And it is on our Instagram if anybody wants to see it. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. I'm very jealous of it. Mm. Next year. Next year, yes. (laughs) But in addition to the decorations, other things I love about Halloween, pumpkin carving, going to haunted houses, haunted corn mazes, and of course, an excuse to dress up and go out Mm -hmm. (laughs) trick-or-treating. When my siblings and I would get back home from a night of trick-or-treating in the long, long ago, I remember two things always happening. One, we always tried to trade with each other. Um, And big shout out to my sister who hates peanut butter because I love Reese's and I always got all of her Reese's from her at a very good deal. (laughs) So thanks, Shell. Love you. Um, And the other thing I remember is my dad checking the candy to make sure that none of it was punctured or opened. So I'm picturing like a little eight-year-old me rolling my eyes, impatiently Uh waiting to clear the inspection process, get my (laughs) Mm -hmm. bag back from my dad. But I think the worst thing that he ever found were a couple of open pieces of candy. like just happens. Yeah, yeah, like just from like moving around all night. But like, I don't think it was ever anything actually dangerous or overly Mm -mm. suspicious. So it always felt like an unnecessary step slowing down the process. Like one of those things you always hear a lot about, but it's like quicksand. Quicksand, you don't really, you know, encounter it too often. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to encounter quicksand like somewhere in my life. I did one time. My husband had to save my dog. Um, from Lake Champlain in Burlington because she tried real hard to unalive herself. It wasn't quicksand, but it felt like it because it yeah. was just mud that he sunk into. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so we almost lost Fallon that day, no. but but okay. she's good. She's good, right. and Mike's good. I almost had to lasso them to pull them back in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I digress. I digress. Um, so my trick-or-treating days are unfortunately literal decades behind me at this point in my life, but still every year, just like clockwork, the topic of dangerous Halloween candy pops back up. 
Law enforcement officials and news outlets perpetuate the story that the threat is very real. Local authorities often offer up alternatives to trick-or-treating, things like trunk-or-treating or parties at the fire stations and schools in town where children can safely trick-or-treat. Newspapers and magazines routinely print safety tips to have a safe Halloween. Um, a large amount of them are common sense, such as don't wear flammable costumes, make sure you can see through your mask, don't mm. go out alone, but also inevitably make sure you check your kids' mm. candy before letting them have any. See, for me, the bigger thing is sending your kids up to random strangers' yeah. houses um, yeah. as opposed to them poisoning your candy, yeah. but... But Marina, I do have to ask because you have young kids. So is is this something that you worry about at all? Or are you now going to worry about poison candy after this episode? <laughs> I wouldn't say I ever worried about it, but I naturally checked their candy because that's mm. what you do. That's what I grew up on as well. And I yep. think I probably suspected as a child that my parents had to check my candy so that they could skim the best stuff from me. <laughs> yes. I did suspect that. But yeah, of course you check stuff. Not that I think it's like a real pervasive thing, but what Just if? in case. Right. You know, what right. if? Yeah. You'd rather take the couple minutes up front, right. Right. seem a little crazy, do the checking, than be sorry on the other side of right. it. But with all of what we're thinking here, we're all kind of like, we've heard about it, but we don't really know how big the threat is. Like, what's the deal? Why does this keep coming back up? Like, is this really just some big urban legend or is there any truth to any story that surfaced mm. over the years? No, there isn't. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Enjoy. No, there are. So I went and I did research and it seems like the legend of the tainted Halloween candy dates back to the late 1950s. Oh. So we're going to start off just recapping kind of what people have reported over the years and then we'll sort of naturally transition into talking about a specific case that involves Halloween candy. Okay. Oh. I'm interested and you've got me thinking. I never really thought about the origins of trick-or-treating. Not not of trick-or-treating, no, of yeah. the candy being poisoned. Yeah. I did, that just made me think of when does when did trick-or-treating start and why? That'll be the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> next <laughs> next time I feel like writing a scholarly article. Um, <laughs> you didn't get that far. <laughs> not this time. When no. were rappers invented, Colby? <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back in my next case. <laughs> All right, so, so let's get started. So back in 1959, a dentist from California gave out candy-coated laxative pills to innocent trick-or-treaters, not in amounts that did any kind of long-term damage, but it would still definitely suck to have eaten one of those, thinking it was a tasty treat, only to find out otherwise. Um, the dentist was ultimately charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs, but none of the children were, were really hurt. They just had a little bit of a bad time one night. <laughs> he just wanted to make sure they were all regular? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it, was, he, it was helpful. I was going to say, was he trying to keep them from eating a lot of candy? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know what his motive was. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe just to, maybe he just didn't like the kids. Oh. I, see, I choose to believe it was, it was a good deed. It was altruistic. That he, yeah, that he was trying to make them not eat as much candy. Let's see if you could spin this next one into a good deed. I, I have faith that you appreciate humanity enough to do it. So in 1964, a woman from Long Island, New York, gave out packages of inedible objects to children that she believed were too old to be out trick-or-treating. So the packages contained items such as steel wool, uh, dog biscuits, and ant traps, <laughs> which were clearly labeled with the word poison on them. So I don't think she was trying to kill the children. I think she was just trolling them for being out trick-or-treating after she perceived them to have aged out of it. That's funny. Okay, nobody ages out of trick-or-treating. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. If a 47-year-old came up to my table and said, trick-or-treat in a costume, take your candy. 
It's such an innocent activity. Mm. Yes. And if you enjoy it and it makes you happy, mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, candy right. makes me happy. So I don't know, Laura. Maybe maybe we'll go trick or treating at Marina's house on yeah. Halloween this right. year. We should. I'll let yeah. you borrow my kids. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally legit. Oh, it's totally legit. <laughs> it's totally legit when you have kids again. You just go with them, that's and you right. get to trick exactly. or treat too. But mm. yeah, like teenagers come around my neighborhood, and it just means they're not getting into trouble, and they're having a good time, a good and point. they're having fun. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Marina spun that one. Okay. Next. Yep. All right. Next. <laughs> so we're that same year. So we're still in 1964. There were also news reports of lye-filled bubble gum being handed out in Detroit, Michigan, and rat poisoning being given to children in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. However, oh. neither of these two claims were yeah. ever substantiated, so as mm. far as we know, just rumors. Mm. Okay. Around Halloween in 1970, the New York Times published an op-ed that suggested the possibility of strangers handing out poisoned Halloween candy to unsuspecting trick-or-treaters. The piece mentioned two unconfirmed incidents in upstate New York and posed a series of frightening rhetorical questions. Mm. One specific question the author pondered was whether or not the sweet old lady down the street was hiding razor blades in the apples she was handing out. Instead of taking the article for what it was meant to be, an opinion piece, readers thought that there must be truth to the things that the author pondered. Uh. Otherwise, why would she put them in print? Um, So my first grim fact for you guys, probably actually the only grim fact I have for this episode, (laughs) um, it seems like this is actually the origin of the razor in the apple story. sounds like it. I don't believe there was ever a confirmed case of anybody ever finding a razor blade in their apple, candy apple, or just regular otherwise apple. So I I believe it started as a result of this op-ed. Interesting. I would love to know if that was around the same time as like stranger danger and that sort of thing was becoming more popular because I think... Um, I could imagine that article being written to encourage people to think about who you were interacting with and what you were getting, or if it was truly just, I mean, someone hypothesizing for a headline. I don't know. I also think I have two thoughts. One is now, if I saw something that said that somebody got a piece of fruit or a piece of candy with like a razor blade or a needle, I would question whether they did it themselves to get attention on social media. That would be my first question. And Mm. that hypothesizing a situation, there is actually someone that won a Pulitzer Prize for an article they wrote about like a five-year-old that was addicted and using heroin. And they completely made it up. Like they searched (gasps) every kid. They searched every kid local to that area. Like they checked their arms and everything in that like general age range. And it it turns out that they completely made it up. So that's why I would question the veracity of those posts. I'm just surprised it came out of the New York Times, you said, right? Not like like the Inquirer. Right, yeah. (laughs) New York Post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, two days after that article was published, a five-year-old boy from Detroit, Michigan named Kevin Tostin died after reportedly eating Halloween candy that had been laced with heroin. But as it turns out, this story would stoke the flames of the growing urban legend mm. because just a couple weeks later in mid-November of 1970, it was announced that Kevin's death was caused by him ingesting a heroin capsule that he found while playing in his uncle's house and not from eating Halloween candy that had been sprinkled with the substance. Oh. Yeah, because people aren't giving away their drugs. No, that's just my position. People, yeah. they're expensive. People are not giving away no. drugs to your children for they're free. They're really not. No, because their only hope would be of getting people hooked, and they're not. That's not their target audience to, yeah. to get hooked. Yeah, that five year old's not coming no. back with a, a wad of cash to no. purchase like their exactly. next supply. No, no. no. So I think we can all agree that what happened to Kevin was a terrible tragedy, mm-hmm. yes. but it wasn't the act of a malicious stranger tampering with candy. Just no. a terrible accident. 
Then, in 1974, mass panic spread when eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien was confirmed to have died from consuming poisoned Halloween candy. Oh. We're actually going to spend the rest of the episode discussing exactly what happened to Timothy and how his killer was brought to justice. So, yes, Laura and Marina and Gremlins, this one is a very much solved case and the resolution is as satisfying as you would hope it could be. Thank mm. you. Thank you in advance. You're welcome. So, let me tell you a little bit about Timothy and his family. Timothy O'Brien was an eight-year-old boy from Deer Park, Texas, which is a middle-class suburb of Houston. He was the oldest child of Ronald and Deneen O'Brien, and he had a five-year-old sister named Elizabeth. Ronald O'Brien worked as an optician and served as a deacon at a Baptist church where he sang in the choir and oversaw the parochial bus program. Those who knew Ronald considered him a model citizen. I couldn't really find out much about Deneen, his wife. Um, it just kind of seemed like the whole family was pretty active in their church, and they seemed to be a happy little family of four. Ronald had never shown a particular excitement or energy for Halloween, but this year seemed to be a little bit different, and for the first time, he was really looking forward to taking his children trick-or-treating. The plan was for him to bring his kids over to his friend Jim Bates' home for dinner, and then along with Jim and his two kids, Mark and Kimberly, go out trick-or-treating for the evening. So, pretty standard plan. Mm -hmm. Young Timothy was looking forward to this night for a couple different reasons. One, it's Halloween, so duh, candy. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and the neighborhood that the Bateses lived in was actually much nicer than where the O'Brien family lived, so this meant that Timothy could look forward to generous neighbors handing out larger candy bars mm -hmm. and higher quantities of candy in general. Gotta, find the, gotta find the best neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Gotta. Two, he was a big fan of the Planet of the Apes, and with the television series having come out earlier in the fall, he was really looking forward to dressing up as his favorite character from the Aww. show for the Aww. night. I also just love how wholesome that his name is Timothy. Timothy. And I don't know, it just fits for me. I know. He just seems like such a sweet little boy. Oh. So as soon as they finish dinner, which I am sure the children all scarfed down, right? Because yep. they want to mm -hmm. get to the main event, which yep. is trick-or-treating. So excited. Ronald and Jim started bringing the kids around door-to-door -door collecting sweets. They stopped at a handful of houses before they came across a large house with no lights on. Mm -hmm. Really committed to maximizing their candy potential, they decided to ring the doorbell, just in case, but ultimately were disappointed to find that, in fact, nobody was home. The kids and Jim started off towards the next home, but Ronald hung back for a few mm. minutes before re-emerging holding five giant pixie sticks. Ronald said that the people at the previous house were actually home, they just hadn't been able to make it to the door fast enough to see the kids. And not wanting the kids to miss out on candy, they kind of like stuck their hand out of the door to give Ronald a pixie stick to pass along, but just stuck their hand out of the door, so he didn't actually see anybody's face. But the lights were off. But the lights were off. You don't mm. trick or treat at a house with the lights no. off. It's like the universal symbol of don't yeah. come here. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember that growing up because I, I grew up on a road that's not, it wasn't really a neighborhood. It was very much just a road and a lot of the driveways are very long. And mm -hmm. so you'd have to commit because yeah. you would have to walk up that driveway and only to find that the lights were out. And, oh and I, it's giving me chills because I still remember when I was old enough to go, I, I think, I guess with friends. Yeah. Um, so not with parents walking me up the street. And it was the creepiest thing if you walked mm -hmm. up and this, the lights were out. So that is what I'm currently picturing. Yeah. And so Jim was a little bit confused and a little more concerned because he didn't really remember seeing anybody at the house because the lights were off. It was very dark. Um, but Ronald just reassured him that the people were home and they didn't want to turn any lights on so nobody else came up. But since they were there, they didn't want the kids to go away empty-handed. So for anybody who does not know what a pixie stick is, it's like a sweet and sour powdered candy that comes in a straw-like tube. They make really large ones, like maybe a foot and a half to almost two feet long. Um, and then they make smaller ones that are maybe six inches. The larger ones are what Ronald brought back to the oh, kids. Wow. So he had five of the almost two foot pixie Jeez. sticks. Oh, wow. Colby uh, may or may not have 
bought us pixie sticks and sprinkled them all over the table and i may or may not have had about two four um six maybe like six to eight i don't know that's not an exaggeration they are like fallen soldiers on her phone right now the the uh rappers it's i'm not counting i'm stop counting i'm not counting i I can't wait for the magic you're gonna work on the reels later this evening like (laughs) two in the morning two in the morning yes (laughs) (laughs) and if you listen to the last half of this podcast and you're like geez did i hit the like one and a half times no it's marina just sugared up (laughs) (laughs) yeah and but i am sorry guys i could not find the big uh pixie stick so you guys have to settle for the small ones that is for the best for marina (laughs) and her health right now All right, so we digress. The group continued going door to door for a brief while longer, with Timothy putting on quite the performance as an ape, because remember, he's dressed (laughs) up as the character from Planet of the Apes. Um, He would bang on his chest and run around, much to the delight of those who were handing out candy. But the fun was short-lived because it started to rain, and the group decided to call it an early night. Nothing ruins trick-or-treating like Mm -hmm. rain. Mm -hmm. They returned to the Bates' home where Ronald gave one pixie stick to each child, and he joked that he would keep the fifth for himself and eat it, um, which I can just imagine the kids being like, Dad, no, like yeah. that's so lame, give it to us. Yeah. Um, but it ended up that none of those four children fought over it because a group of trick-or-treaters rang the doorbell at the Bates' house. Um, and Ronald kind of held up the pixie stick <laughs> as like the biggest prize in the bunch and asked oh. who wanted it. Oh. And there was an 11-year-old boy who lived a few blocks away named Whitney Parker who had caught his eye when he raised his hand and he reminded Ronald that they knew each other from church. So Ronald oh. was like you know what? You win. I'm going to give you this pixie okay. stick. Did he win or lose? Mm. I feel like he lost. TBD. He, he kind of lost, but yeah, TBD. Mm-hmm. 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 But also, he, he also won. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also choosing to believe it's not a coincidence that the last name is Bates here. It is. It but feels no like a coincidence right? that it's Bates. Yeah. But no one's named Norman, so I guess we're okay. There are no Norman Bates. Now back at home and ready for bed, Timothy begged his dad to let him have some candy because you've got to have the first piece on the first night you get it. Obviously. The first piece? You eat the whole thing <laughs> you get it. What do you mean? The whole thing. I mean, I would come home with a pillowcase. Literally. So that I would be... sit till my stomach hurt. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Well, Only child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say Ronald was not about to let Timothy have an entire thing, right? Like would have been irresponsible. Mm-hmm. He probably would have had a stomach ache, tons of cavities after like not brushing his teeth and just I, eating candy in bed. I did not have a cavity until I was an adult. Me just, too, actually. Yeah. And only one. I did not like that. Congra- congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I'm very proud. My teeth are currently sad. <laughs> so I'm very happy for you. <laughs> Marinas are going to be sad. After I was just going to say. Sticks. I'm currently developing cavities as we speak. <laughs> They're just actively burrowing through your teeth right yes. now. That's an awful thought. <laughs> so anyway, so, so Ronald lets Timothy have one piece of candy and it just so happens that he grabbed the pixie stick and he brought it up to Timothy who was laying down in bed. He handed it to him, and Timothy was kind of struggling to get it open because the candy had actually been stapled shut, um, so he had to hand it back to his dad, who helped him eventually get it open. With Timothy still laying down, Ronald says he lifted the pixie stick and tilted it into his son's mouth, like, so he could be oh. lazy and not even lift his head, but still get his candy. <laughs> um, and after taking a few tastes of the sugary candy, Timothy commented that it tasted bad. Mm. It was, like, weirdly bitter. And Ronald, who did not taste the candy himself, just assumed that this weird flavor meant that the candy was either old or it had gone bad. So he went and he brought Timothy some Kool-Aid to wash it down and just to try to help get rid of the unpleasant taste. Because more sugar before bed. More sugar. (laughs) And also, like, Kool-Aid's not that pleasant of a taste either. So, like, could have done a little better. I'm thinking of the red Kool-Aid. Like, Mm. oh, yeah, that's what he got brought up to. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. 
So Ronald remembers leaving Timothy's room and not even 30 seconds later hearing Timothy crying, Daddy, Daddy, my stomach hurts. Oh. When Ronald returned to check on his son, he found Timothy in the bathroom. He was convulsing, <gasps> vomiting, crying out in pain, and oh. gasping. Ronald grabbed Timothy and held him tightly in his arms to try to calm him down, and then suddenly Timothy went limp. I'm oh. devastated. Ronald oh. called 911, and the paramedics rushed to meet them at his house. Within an hour of eating the pixie stick, Timothy was in an ambulance on his way to the hospital, but he'd never make it there alive. Oh, God, what the fuck was in that? I'll tell you guys really soon what was in that. Oh, no. So Timothy's body was brought to the morgue so the medical examiner could conduct an autopsy. The ME recalls a strong scent of almond coming from Timothy's oh. mouth, which is often a telltale sign of cyanide poisoning. And sure enough, the autopsy would confirm that Timothy O'Brien had died as a result of consuming potassium cyanide. Oh, my God. In fact, Timothy had consumed enough of the drug to have killed two or even possibly three grown men. So I cannot even begin to imagine what this did to a small child. Oh my gosh. I'm so devastated. Since the only thing that Timothy had consumed prior to his passing was Halloween candy, authorities were quickly alerted to the concern and the town's police force set out knocking on doors until the wee hours of the morning. Officers were collecting candy and asking parents to wake their sleeping children to see if they were safe. The search uncovered four more lethal candies, all of them cyanide-laced pixie sticks, and oh. all of them miraculously unopened by oh. their intended victims. There were a couple close calls, though. So when the police arrived at the Bates' house, they initially couldn't find one of the pixie sticks, and the family started to panic. It was the one their son had. He actually had taken the candy to bed with him and fallen asleep with it in his hand, they assume, because he couldn't get it open. Oh, my god. So they found him sleeping, clutching the pixie oh stick. So that's god. how close their son was to meeting the same fate as Timothy. Oh, wow. There was a guardian angel in that Seriously. room. Absolutely. Holding the pixie stick closed. Literally. Whitney Parker, that random trick-or-treater mm -hmm. who got the fifth pixie stick... He was cutting it open on his kitchen counter when his father told him to stop it and go up to bed for the I night. I have, oh my gosh. Full body goosebumps. That is so scary. He, his dad would not let him have any of it because his dad was upset with him for like trying to sneak the candy. So he sent oh. him. So he tried to cut it open and his dad was like, no, go to bed. Oh, it wasn't from hearing from the police? No, it was just because he was like, knock it off, kid. Like, oh go to bed. God. Again, divine intervention. Yep. Just wow. holy moly. So authorities determined that someone had opened the tubing and replaced the top two inches of each stick with granules of cyanide, <laughs> which wow. like these things are big and I uh -huh. understand why they were stapled shut because yeah. they're, I don't think they're stapled to begin with. They're probably like, like melted fused or whatever. together, yeah, yeah. melted together. So of course it seems like somebody opened it, took a little yep. bit out, put cyanide in it and then resealed them. And like, you don't need a lot of cyanide, right? You were just saying that no. it was in two just Two inches. That, yeah. That seems like. And that was enough to kill three people. Right. So, he, like, you didn't oh, need that much. Jeez. Timothy's death prompted an uproar in the community. Hordes of parents brought their children's Halloween candy to the police for fear that it may be poisoned. Police went through piles of candy and tried to verify what was okay and what was suspicious. They returned some of it to the children whose parents would let them have the candy after, but they really did end up throwing out the majority of it because most parents in town just were not willing to take the risk. I would throw out the entire bag and be like, let's go to Stop and Shop. Yep. I will yes. buy you whatever bag of unopened, non-poisoned yeah, right. candy you would like. Maybe it was just a conspiracy from the police because they wanted all the Halloween candy for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They were like, this pile of Reese's looks suspicious. <laughs> Every single them, Reese's. Yes. Everyone, bring them to the police station. All of your Halloween candy. Leave the Rolos, though. They're like, oh, the pixie sticks were poisoned. Yeah, no, no, we're not interested in those. We'd just bring us chocolate instead. The bit of honey, those are all safe. You could have those back. <laughs> the pretzels? Nah, take those. <laughs> Three Musketeers? Uh, we'll see. York, York peppermint patties. I like those. I kind of like them sometimes. Depends. Not many. Yeah, what, like the Whoppers? The Whoppers can go back to yeah, the kids. Yeah, those can go back oh, to the kids. Oh, Whoppers can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I really don't like Whoppers. It always, comes, it always comes out. It's always in the bag. It's always in the mix with the really good candy. And then you yeah. get Whoppers. <laughs> So at this point, the people in this town in, in Deer Park are really thinking that there is a random person who is handing out poison yeah. Halloween candy. And after all of the testing was said and done, so they tested all of the candy that came through the town, the only confirmed poison that was found was found in Timothy's pixie stick and the four other pixie sticks that Ronald O'Brien had gotten from the mysterious dark house on Halloween. Do you know, were there other pixie sticks like that that had been handed out anywhere? Or were those the only one, only pixie sticks that had been handed out? I'm not sure if other houses in town handed out pixie hmm. sticks. I just know that those were the only five that had cyanide hmm. in them. Yeah. That's a, that's a, an aggressive... I mean, you talk about like the full-size candy bars, but that's like... I mean, you're not kidding. It's, it's two feet long. Yeah. Like, if you had... 40 kids come by that's a lot so. when i i think i read that um ronald had even made a remark to jim because remember like jim mm-hmm. bates lived in a nicer neighborhood he was like oh my god your neighbors are so rich look what they're right. giving out like this giant 22 inch pixie stick wow wow so investigators had ronald o'brien and jim bates retrace their steps from that night jim quickly identified the house that the candy had come from while ronald initially gave conflicting accounts and didn't seem so certain himself since the group had really only gone trick-or-treating on two different streets, police went out with Ronald to try to refresh his memory, because why not? On a third walkthrough of the neighborhood, he finally remembered which house it was. He brought the police to the house that us and our listeners know as the dark mm. house that stuck out a mysterious hand holding five pixie sticks. But that's not what he told investigators. He told police that there had been a man standing in the front yard of the house on Halloween night, and that was who had given him the tainted candy. Just as a side note, keep in mind, Jim Bates had actually told the police that Ronald came back from the house holding the candy, and he was adamant he never saw another person. There was no man Mm -hmm. standing in the lawn. Um, Hmm. I have suspicions of Ronald right now, which it makes me very sad, and I will apologize profusely if that's not the case, because he is a poor man who lost his child, if not. But I was suspicious from the very start that he had this weird situation so I shall see, but just mm-hmm. want it on the record. You're not the only one who's starting to get suspicious mm-hmm. of Ronald, but since the two men have conflicting stories, the police decide to look into the homeowner from sure. the dark house mm-hmm. um, and see if that person can provide any additional information. So they found out that the house belonged to a man named Courtney Melvin, um, and the police assumed, okay, you know, maybe Ronald really did see somebody, and it was just Courtney standing in the front yard. Courtney was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport, and it just so happens that he had an airtight alibi for the night. (laughs) Courtney was at the airport working until 11, so it could not have been him that was there handing out the Halloween candy. And there were over 200 people who were able to confirm that Courtney was at the airport Mm. that night. So, like, airtight. Like, he was ruled out immediately. Thank God for him, though, because this poor guy, who was clearly innocent, like, what if you didn't, if you just had gone for a walk or something? Yeah. You're like, I have no alibi, but it wasn't me. But it wasn't me. Or you're just, I just stayed home and watched scary movies and went to bed. Yeah. Yep. Jeez. 200. That's so many people to see you. But, I mean, an airport, high traffic. Like, I get why there were that. And there was, like, CCTV footage of him. Mm. Right. 
what they said was there were like images of him. So it could have been like somebody took a photo, like, cause there were definitely cameras. Mm. Uh, I was just mm. kind of assuming CCTV, but there were plenty of people who were willing to vouch that Courtney was at the airport that mm. night. But you know what? Grieving victims are often excused for such mistaken identity, but this is when the detectives are starting to ask themselves how Ronald could have possibly have seen anybody mm. at Courtney's house, especially if Jim, who was only a few yards away, never saw anybody at all. He never mm-hmm. even saw the door open. Mm. On Monday, November 4th... The... S- sorry, Marina just went for another I pixie so. <laughs> She's not deterred by the story. <laughs> <laughs> Did you lace them? No, I, I did not lace them. I like how she asks that at number 10. <laughs> um, this I actually, tastes a little bitter. I only laced five of them, so you probably just haven't found it yet. Want to play a game? <laughs> I We will most definitely post a picture of the table yes. that is actually awesome. It was really cool when we walked in, but also of the number of <laughs> pixie sticks. <laughs> how many can I finish before the end of the episode? I'm going to say she's going to get like another 10 in and then I'm going to be <laughs> real concerned. She'll be bouncing off the walls. Okay. So on Monday, November 4th, the police received a call from an insurance agent. And guys, I swear, I am not intentionally trying to bring insurance back into this, but it keeps happening. Like the insurance companies for the win in Damn. several of our cases. All right. Okay. Good so, career choices, ladies. Yeah. So this agent informed the police that Ronald had paid cash for a $20,000 life insurance policy on each of his children on October 3rd. Come on. Oh, gosh. And remember, his children are eight and five. Ronald was starting to look just a wee bit suspicious with the police having this new piece of information. So as the investigation continued and police started to look more carefully at Ronald, they learned that he had quite a significant amount of debt, about $100,000, which I'm not trying to say is an insignificant amount of debt to have in the present day, but remember we're talking 1974. Okay. So that would be around $600,000 of debt in today's dollars. So it's it's a substantial amount, overwhelming debt. Yes. Police also found out that there was more to the story regarding the children's life insurance policies. Ronald had actually taken out a life insurance policy on both of his kids in January, initially for $10,000 each, and then he added an additional $20,000 per child the month before the murder. So there was a $30,000 policy on each of his Mm. children. Which is not enough to cover your debts. Not enough. And not to mention that's what you value, assuming, again, I'll apologize profusely if this is wrong, but that's what you value your kids child, at, it's yeah. $30,000, please. Perhaps even stranger, or maybe even more damning, the morning after his son's death, Ronald called the life insurance company looking to collect the money. Are you kidding? I am not. Again, we all grieve in our own way, but this, mm-hmm. this is not no. normal. I think no. the three of us can agree that that's very suspicious to call yes. the next morning. Yes. Ronald was saying that he was going to go on a vacation to try to get over the loss of his son. And he maintained that he had nothing to do with his death. He got the candy from this house and he's just devastated and crushed beyond like anything you can imagine. And he just needs to get away to get his his head in a better place. He had a wife, right? Yep. He had a wife and a daughter who's still alive. Yeah. So in reality, though, Ronald was not going to be taking a tropical vacation. Ronald was struggling. He had difficulty holding down a job. He was employed by 21 different companies over a 10-year period and fired from each for negligence or fraudulent behavior. That's a long resume. It's a long resume. Oh, my God. A quick review of Ronald's past uncovered a chronic series of financial troubles, dubious insurance claims, job hopping, habitual lying, and Ronald's odd boast to acquaintances that he would come into enough money by year's end to buy a new house. It's an odd prediction to make for yourself. Which, that is still not enough money to do that. (laughs) 
Yeah, like the math's not adding up here a little bit. Like Ronald maybe needed a calculator. Well, he was clearly not very good at jobs or life, so. Parenting. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely no. not definitely definitely parent of the year. a low grade on parenting. So in the fall of 1974, which is when this is all occurring, Ronald O'Brien, he was 30 years old, just for reference. He's a young dad. Oh my gosh. He was on the brink of being fired again from his current employer, the Texas State Optical, and they suspected him of stealing money. His take-home salary of $150 a week barely covered food and rent, and he had defaulted on several bank loans. His house was about to be foreclosed on, and his car was on the verge of being repossessed. So this is a man who is backed Mm -hmm. into the corner, and like the walls are kind of closing in, very limited options, has to come up with cash. The picture was starting to slowly come into focus. Whether out of greed or desperation, or maybe a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. Ronald had devised what he thought was the perfect plan, one that would alleviate his financial difficulties and even allow him to lead a more comfortable life. His plan was perfect. His intention was to murder both of his children and collect the life insurance policy on each of them. He handed out the other three pixie sticks to try to make it look like a random stranger had been the one handing out the poison candy because he he thought it would look suspicious if just his two children had it. Sure. Yeah. Collateral damage. Yep. Police found a pocket knife in Ronald's home with candy residue on it, and they believe that that was what Ronald had used to contaminate the candy, like to cut it open Mm -hmm. and slide a little bit of the cyanide in. A lot of it of the cyanide. A lot of it of the cyanide. (laughs) Ronald had played the part of the grieving father very well. He gained national sympathy when he sang a song at his son's funeral. The nation really viewed him as a heartbroken victim himself, but all of that was obviously about to change for Ronald. He definitely, had it been now, would have had a GoFundMe. Oh my gosh. That he would have abused the the funds from, for sure. Yeah. He was arrested on November 5th, 1974, and charged with Timothy's murder. He was indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder, and he continued to maintain his claim that he had absolutely nothing to do with this. And I know we we commented a little bit on the dollar amount, so I, I have to imagine that he was thinking he would collect the life insurance money and then file some sort of suit against somebody mm. to be able to collect more for like mm. wrongful death, mm. whoever handed out the candy company yeah. directly or something like that. Like I think Willy Wonka makes pixie yeah. sticks. They're at least the big ones. Yeah. Um, so that's why, cause I kept trying to think like, why do you think $60,000 was going to solve all of his problems? I he, mean, he must've been thinking like there was I, more he could do. I think you're giving him more credit probably than I don't think he was a very smart man. I don't know though. That's, I mean, that's, a decent guess when people yeah. get really desperate. Yeah. You know, you see the videos True. of people like throwing themselves at cars, but people <laughs> yes. have dash cams, yeah. you know, yeah. people, True. because even when you have a, a frivolous lawsuit, half the time, it's just easier to settle it out. So True. True. Willy Wonka might've given him money to just yeah, go away. Just go away. His poor wife. That was what I kept, his poor wife and his poor daughter and yeah. all of this. Could you imagine later in life, like, she had to have explained to her daughter at some point, like, where's daddy? Where's my brother? Like, what happened? Like, yeah. I, don't, I can't even imagine how you explain this to, no. to that poor girl. No. And not only all of that, but also presumably the wife has to deal with all of the yeah. debt and losing, obviously, her child, which is paramount. But finding out her husband is a murderer, not only a murderer, but a murderer of his son and right. would have murdered his daughter. Blah. Gosh. So the trial began in Houston, Texas on May 5th, 1975. So all this is happening Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. He really did not Mm -hmm. do a good job of casting suspicion elsewhere or even remotely getting Mm -hmm. away with this. So during the trial, multiple parties testified that Ronald had shown a very strong interest in cyanide in the months and even years leading up to his son's death. A chemist friend of his said that Ronald was curious about how much cyanide would constitute a fatal dose. And this conversation happened in the summer of 1973, so the year before. 
Coworkers and customers, which I don't know why you talk to customers about this, <laughs> from Texas State Optical had reported Ronald having an unusual obsession with the poison and even asking them about how much cyanide was needed to kill a person. Like, how stupid are people? Oh, we're not done, though. Oh, a, boy. <laughs> a chemical supply salesman testified that Ronald had come in asking about purchasing cyanide. Police then learned that Ronald had gone to a local hardware store in an attempt to purchase cyanide earlier in the month of October, but he left after being told the smallest amount available for purchase was five pounds. <laughs> so I don't know where he eventually ended up getting it from, but he definitely messed up because it seems uh -huh. like he expressed this interest in cyanide with basically everybody who he crossed paths with. Yeah, he is definitely, again, if this were to happen now, he if you looked at his search history, it would be like, how much cyanide does it take to kill a person? Where can I get cyanide? I would like to kill my son. Where can I get cyanide to do so? Like, he like would Richard have been... debate? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. And then would have been totally surprised. He's, he's like, I didn't want to use the cyanide. Like, I just, like quicksand, I just thought I had to be aware of cyanide in my life yeah, and know really. how much to stay away from. Oh my God. Just for science, I just wanted to know. Jeez. So in addition to this obsession with cyanide, there were a few other oddities that were raised during trial. The funeral director from Timothy's funeral said that Ronald had coolly asked him for six death certificates on the morning of November 1st and stated that his son had died of potassium cyanide poisoning. Problem is, this statement was made before the autopsy had concluded. Oh my gosh. Oh, and I don't know why he ordered six, why he wanted six of them. Gotta Probably, go ahead. I was going to say gonna send it to all the insurance companies <laughs> i don't know yeah right? i was thinking Maybe. like one for himself one for the life insurance company one to attach to a complaint one to serve with your complaint oh my to, gosh yeah, like, yeah. i bet you guys are right yeah yeah Ugh. yeah because you know you, to go to the photocopier at the library it probably costs like 50 cents yeah so this definitely this is cheaper mm -hmm. yeah because money it's frugal mm -hmm. now. Exactly. And, okay, so not that this next thing impacted the trial, but I did just want to add that the police had shared Mrs. O'Brien's reaction mm -hmm. when she first believed her husband was guilty. So they told her that her husband had recently increased the insurance on their children to about $60,000 collectively. And they said that as soon as they said that to her, she made the connection immediately in her oh. mind. And she just yelled like, oh, my God, and broke down crying. Oh. Um, and she just knew in her heart that her husband was the one that had poisoned her son. Oh, oh that's awful. Mrs. O'Brien was also adamant that her son would have never chosen the pixie stick as his one piece of candy to eat. So she <gasps> knew that her husband had intentionally chosen that specific item for him that oh. night. So like he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, and now I'm reimagining him pouring it in, he, which seemed so sweet. Into his mouth. Oh. I just, I, I don't, oh. I... I cannot imagine how heartbreaking this was for her to hear. Like, this is supposed to be the man that's the father of your children, someone yeah. who's going to look out for them and protect oh. them, but he himself ended up being the greatest danger to the children. Like, oh. it has to feel like the ultimate betrayal. Like, yeah. I can't imagine either you're grieving the loss of your son and you think that you would lean on your partner. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you found out that it was his fault, that just, the rug is just ripped out from mm -hmm. underneath you. Yeah. And, and she did not know about the life insurance policies on the of children. Course. So, because I'm pretty sure had she known, she'd yeah. be like, that's ridiculous. Like, why? Right. I even read one of the insurance salesmen, like, tried to talk him into getting a different kind of policy, like, not a life insurance policy, but something that I think could act as life insurance in the event of a tragic event, but was more something that would turn into, like, a college fund, essentially, mm. for the kids. And Ronald had never expressed any interest in that, which now makes sense because he never intended to let his children get to that point in their life. Right. Back to the trial. Ronald's sister-in-law and brother-in-law testified that at Timothy's funeral, 
Ronald was talking about using the life insurance money to take a vacation and purchase some stuff he'd been wanting for a while now. What a piece of shit. And also, that's not any of the right things. Because presumably, people probably amongst the family knew that he was having some financial troubles. They most certainly knew that he's changed jobs 21 times. Absolutely. So you'd think you'd be like, well, silver lining, I'll be able to pay off some debt. Instead of being like, oh yeah, I really wanted that jet ski. (laughs) Or like, maybe just don't don't do it. Like, contain yourself. Don't do it at your son's funeral. Like. Hold it in, man. Yeah. He's like, I really miss Timothy, but I've always wanted to go to Bora Bora. Do you know what would help correct the aching that I feel in my chest? This hole my son used to be an overwater villa in Bora Bora. <laughs> <laughs> On June 3rd, 1975, it took a jury 46 minutes to find him guilty and 71 <laughs> minutes to sentence him to death. Wow. His Jeez. wife divorced him and got remarried, and her new husband officially adopted their daughter. Oh, that's sweet. So at least the uh, Deneen and Elizabeth had a, a happy ending, quote yeah. unquote, for themselves. Good. Happy-ish. Happy-ish. Right. After being found guilty, O'Brien appealed his case multiple times, twice to the Supreme Court even, but he lost on all of his appeals. Shocking. I'm not trying to express any sympathy, more just going to state a fact, but Ronald had a very rough go of it in prison. He had zero friends. The other inmates really hated that he killed a child, Good. let alone his own child. Uh-huh. And they hated this guy so much that they petitioned to be able to put on a demonstration on the date of his execution. Oh, wow. Wow. Ronald was the first inmate in Texas scheduled to be executed via lethal injection and was originally scheduled to be executed in 1980, but his execution was stayed on multiple occasions. He was then scheduled to be executed on the eighth anniversary of his son's murder, which to me felt kind of like poetic justice Mm -hmm. because his son was eight when he Mm -hmm. murdered him. Um, And the judge at the time was very adamant, like, I'm not letting you get out of this. I will bring you there and administer the cocktail myself if I have to. Like, this is your fate and you have to accept it. Wow. But yet again, he was able to have his execution delayed. Finally, on March 31st, 1984, almost a full decade later, Ugh. 300 people gathered to watch Ronald O'Brien's execution. Wow. His execution was like a media circus. It was like he was holding court. He was calm and confident, talking mm. to members of the media, answering questions. Weirdly, he had some fans and supporters in attendance that believed his innocence. I read... Um, about a college girl who had become a pen pal with him and oh, like damn pen oh, pals. those pen pals and she just believed his innocence and she was there sobbing the whole time because she just loved him so much and, and she wanted to get married it. and have conjugal visits with him really yep. so there were people there cheering for his death there were anti-death penalty protesters outside the media is inside there's 300 people in the room um, or at least in the vicinity where this is happening And the whole time, he maintained his innocence, even in his last words. In his final statement, which I, it's a little bit long, but I have to read it to you guys because he's just so tone deaf, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, He said, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet it doesn't mean that our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all of those who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you one and all. God bless you and may God's best blessings be always yours. What a wholesome man. 
As they administered the fatal cocktail of drugs to Ronald, someone in the crowd screamed, trick or treat. Oh my God. <laughs> Which I love. Oh Go my that God. person. That is grim. When his ex-wife was asked to share her feelings, she was understandably cold, and she stated that he had made his bed, and now he's having to lie in it. I have no pity for him. Yeah. And I got to say, guys, I agree 100% oh, with her. Totally. Like, my, my first thought, though, was actually to his daughter, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Because, I, I mean, granted, it was a long time that she was able to hopefully remove herself from that, but I can't imagine the feelings... Um, he probably died twice for her, if I were probably. to guess. Um, but that I'm sure that that still is an awful feeling. And if you think she would have been about 15 mm-hmm. at the time he was executed. So like at this point, she understands now mm-hmm. what's happening. Like when she's five, yeah. maybe it was hard to kind of explain what was going right. on. But now she definitely knows. And even if you've, even if she felt or anyone felt that it was right for him to die, I'm sure that also presents some conflicting feelings. And oh, I'm sure. Hopefully, maybe she was young enough. Like, I don't remember a lot when I was five or younger. So hopefully she's able to remember most of her life without him mm-hmm. and move on. But um, I, that's just awful. So Ronald O'Brien would go down in history known as the man who killed Halloween and the Candyman. Not to be confused with the other Candyman who shows up after you say his name three times, but still equally, if not more terrifying version of the Candyman. Since Ronald maintained his innocence up through the very end, no one can say for absolute certain, but it is thought that he chose to carry out his crime on Halloween because he was aware of the urban legends about Halloween poisoners and cynically assumed that his use of cyanide lace candy would deflect suspicion from him to some anonymous boogeyman. What happened to Timothy O'Brien was a senseless tragedy, but again, to go back to the topic of today's episode, his death was not the fault of some nefarious stranger. It was at the hands of his own father for his own selfish gain. Mm-hmm. Which is more horrifying, yes. but less random. Less random. Targeted. Yes. Yeah, I think the randomness of crime is exactly. what is the scariest part mm-hmm. of it. Exactly. That's definitely it for me, is the randomness. Mm-hmm. So why does the myth of the poison candy from strangers persist despite no confirmed cases? There was another man who was incredibly interested in answering this question. His name was or is, I think he might still be alive, Joel Best. And he, believe it or not, is considered to be the world's leading researcher on candy tampering. Oh. And I just think it's ironic because his last name is Best and he's the best candy tampering (laughs) researcher. (laughs) Again, I digress. (laughs) Um, So Best wrote an article for the Social Problems Journal examining incidents of contaminated Halloween candy from 1958 through 1983. So all of the years Mm -hmm. we have covered in our discussion so far. Social Problems is the official publication of the Society for the Study of Social Problems, and it has been an important forum for sociological thought for multiple decades. So it's like a scholarly journal. I just appreciate that they gave their own name and the definition of their name. (laughs) (laughs) Social problems is a social problem that the society has a problem. (laughs) And it talks about social problems. (laughs) Problems that are social. Yes, problems that are social in nature. (laughs) Over this 25-year period, so 58 to 83, best examined coverage of Halloween-related incidents from the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and the Chicago Tribune. What he found was that there were fewer than 90 instances that may have qualified as actual candy tampering. In none of the cases were there a random attempt to harm children at Halloween. Instead, most of the cases that were found were attempts by adults to gain financial compensation or, far more commonly, a child trying to get attention. In these incidents, the children have not been harmed. They know that the dangerous item is present in the candy and it would be unsafe to eat it. So, of course, there's no real danger to the child. Mm -hmm. Best came across five child deaths that were initially thought by local authorities to be caused by homicidal strangers, 
but none of those were sustained by investigation. The only death directly linked to tainted Halloween candy that Best had found in his research was that of Timothy O'Brien. Wow. Wow. So despite everything pointing to the claims of poison Halloween candy being false, the news continuously promoted the story throughout the 1980s with local news stations featuring frequent coverage. In 1982, the Tylenol murders occurred. Um, We might cover that case in a future episode. So for now, I'll just say that there were seven people who died after ingesting Tylenol that had been laced Mm. with potassium cyanide. That was like a massive recall. Yes, and it was national news, Mm. and it really amplified the fear that there Mm. were nefarious actors out there who were trying to poison Mm. us, whether it was through our medication or food, but there were bad people out there who wanted to hurt you. By 1985, the media had driven the hysteria about candy poisonings to such a point that an ABC News poll found that 60% of parents feared that their children would be injured or killed because of Halloween candy sabotage. Oh, wow. Yeah, also, that's a lot. Oh, wow. Why are you still, uh, why are you still trick-or-treating? <laughs> why are you still allowing your kids to trick-or-treat if you're, if you're that, if you're that or, <laughs> or let them trick-or-treat and then throw out all that candy and just buy replace it. Right. Yeah, replace it yeah. with candy yeah. and be like, this is what you got. Yeah. That's a really high number. That's what I'm saying. Like it's yeah, yeah 60. Yeah. Which yeah. also explains because this was right around the time that we were kids starting to go trick-or-treating. Yep. And it explains why I definitely heard it as a kid. Um, so I don't know. And so I know that the majority of the research that I had done kind of trails off at 1985, but to this day. Even what I found between 85 and 2022, almost all tampering cases involve a friend or a family member, and it is usually done as a prank of sorts. Almost all of those involved a sharp object rather than a poisonous object, Hmm. and three quarters of them resulted in no injuries, and the rest were just minor injuries. Think like the kid cut themselves putting Mm -hmm. the blade in the apple. Mm. Um, So my conclusion is that still no child has ever been killed by eating Halloween candy from a stranger. This is nothing more than an urban legend that has been persisted throughout the decades. Wow. And I guess that is kind of nice to think about that um, there's nobody out there just wanting to randomly hurt children. It right. is not good to think about the people that want to specifically hurt specific children, but I guess that's good. There is a line. I think it's good, but I don't know that I, at the end of the episode I would like definitively say, oh, don't worry about checking your kid's candy anymore. No. Because in the back of my mind, I'm still like, what if there's a chance? What if somebody somewhere gets the mm-hmm. idea just like Timothy's dad did, mm-hmm. right? Thinking like, I'll cover it up. People will think it's the urban legend and I'll do this for my own selfish gain. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and we also lived through the anthrax scare yep. where you thought things that came in the mail were going to hurt yeah. you. And, you know, we've gotten past that, I guess. But Now it's um, fentanyl. Right. Now it's yeah. Fentanyl, yeah. It's always something and it's always that random scary unidentifiable boogeyman that makes it super scary like michael myers is not out there trying to get your kids while you're trick-or-treating no he's in the window looking at laura behind her back yes that is what he's doing isn't it that's so wild to me though that there's no definitive case Mm -hmm. but we take these urban legends like i bet you if you went out and you polled an audience and Uh you were like you know should you check your kids candy someone would be like I heard about this kid yes. who had. Yes. I heard about this kid who had. And it's like, did you see it on Facebook? Because, right. you know, I, I get it now. Social media tries to have those content warnings. Mm-hmm. But you can make up anything and people are people just get freaked out and they just share it. And yep. now it's be, the gospel truth when it was never true to begin with. So the amount of information or disinformation mm. that gets shared 
I would have never known that there were no Same. deaths. Right. I would have assumed maybe I figured it was blown out of proportion, but I would have assumed that there were a few and that's what got, you know, what blew up in the news. So that's insane. You know, even, even in recent years, the story is now trending away from poison and more to they're giving my children cannabis, um, which again, like nobody is giving your child edibles like while they're out trick or treating because that shit's expensive and nobody wants to give it to your child. They want to use it for themselves. Right. Like, don't worry about that. But I did see an article that was like, oh, police raided and found THC laced nerd ropes. But the article was from the beginning of October. So, like, how yeah. do you make the distinction between, like, somebody really just likes nerds and wanted to, like, bite off a chunk of the rope before bed and have a good right. time at night versus, <laughs> like, they had intent to distribute it? I saw that article and I thought the same thing. I didn't think it was at all or shouldn't have been at all associated with Halloween candy and thought that was just how they got it. Because there was also time. one with, like, Skittles or something. Yeah. I assumed that's just how they got it, smuggled it wherever they were smuggling it. And I don't think that, like, the the packaging can be questionable and people are like, well, they market it to kids. They make it look like Skittles or, like, gummy bears. And, like, I, for me, I don't think that it's marketed to children. I think the play is the nostalgia grab mm. for the people who should be doing it because, right. like... What all right? If if you're gonna eat an edible, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna like go bake a brownie, or are you maybe gonna like giggle and try like a little gummy bear? Or mm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. because it's cute and it's approachable. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like even the packaging, though some people say like, well, it's directed for your kids to want it. Like I I don't think that that's the thought. Like I think it's a nostalgia play to get millennials and Gen Xers to buy stuff. People are just going to make a case out of anything. If, and if anything, are. this is really showing us how, how the media can twist things, not to get on that soapbox. <laughs> but um, but it is that I'm really blown away. I really thought you were going to tell us, yep, it's it's happened and here are the three places it happened, but super unfrequent, infrequent. Yeah. And, but nope, none of them. So for our gremlins, if you have heard of any cases and you want us to take a look at it, let us know. Because I I could not find any Mm. credible leads for anything that actually could be traced back to Halloween candy other than Timothy O'Brien. Also, comment your craziest Halloween candy urban myths that you've heard, like sewing needles in Twix bars or just something crazy that we haven't mentioned Mm. because there's so many and I know we have not discussed all of them. I saw a TikTok this morning, probably because I was researching poison <laughs> candy. I saw a TikTok that was like a parent testing. They had three kids, their oldest child, their youngest, and their middle. Like, oh, cut it just to be safe. So they cut the candy for the oldest and the youngest child, and a $100 bill fell out of it. And then they cut the candy for the middle child, and it was like, go do your chores. <laughs> it was like, go oh, mow the lawn and yes, do your chores. I saw it, too. And, do your chores. <laughs> and I was like... You know what? If I found a hundred bucks in my kids' candy, I'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna let's go buy a hundred dollars yeah. worth of candy." <laughs> <laughs> and Gremlins also comment how many pixie sticks you think Marina has consumed, and we'll let you know. Have, you, have you had any yet, Laura? I haven't. I've been nervously holding this one because I wasn't sure where this story was going <laughs> in the very beginning. But I will have one. Yeah. I have not had one yet. I was waiting till after the episode because yep. I didn't want to be drooling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the sugar. Yep. So with that said, if you are loving Grimm, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a written review. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for case photos and to stay current on the latest episodes. Want to send us case suggestions or just say hey? Send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, we are now on Patreon. Woohoo! If you'd like to subscribe, go to patreon.com and search Grimm colon a true crime podcast. 
We hope you listen, learn, and stay alive until next time, because the future is grim. Who can take the sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. The candy man. With love and makes the world taste good. Makes the world taste good. Uh, who can take the rainbow? Who can take the rainbow? Wrap it in a side. Wrap it in a side. Soak it in the sun and make a groovy lemon pie. The candy man. The candy man. The candy man can. The candy man can. The candy man can cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Makes the world taste good.